Well, we're in week four of our series now, Future Family, where we've been looking at what it takes to um, uh, build a family on a foundation that honors God. And so week one, we looked at some lessons we can learn from some of the dysfunctions that we find in uh, the Old Testament families. Second, second week, we tackled the, the biggest question that can really radically change your family, the most important question ever uh, to change kind of the dynamic within our families. Last week, Andy Stanley brought us a, a great message on patience and and parenting and how that all melts together. And today, we're going to look at the one thing that all families have in common. All families is common no matter what your family history, what your current family is, what your future family might look like, and that is just conflict. Anybody ever have conflict in your family? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. If you have family, you're going to have conflict. Some of you may have noticed this. Uh, some of you maybe experienced this. You might have even experienced this this morning. See if this sounds familiar at all to you. How many of you parents have found yourself on Sunday with your hands around the throat of a child you love very much? And you're saying something like, you get ready for church, get ready now so we can get there on time to learn about the love of Jesus. On the way to church, children become demon-possessed. I had two of the most beautiful uh, girls on the way to church. They would fight like mortal enemies over nothing, over stupid stuff. This is my side of the car. This is my side over here. I am on my side of the car, and you are over here. You are breathing on my side. There are, mo there are molecules coming from your side to my You ever hear this? Shay's looking at me. How many teenagers? Any teenagers in here at all? Girls, do not say to your parents on the way, what is your name right there with the nice glasses on your head? Lisa, do not say to your parents, she's looking at me. Your parents are not equipped to handle. She's looking at me. No human with a brain can handle. She's looking at me. Sarah, if you want to mess with your parents, say something like, she hit me with a crowbar. We can handle that. Give me the crowbar. <laughs> Don't hit her anymore. Was it just my car or was your car like that? Any of you on the way to church ever grab the rearview mirror and give your children the Sunday morning look of love? <laughs> That's worse than texting. And then we say things that don't make sense. You want me to come back there? I'll tell you what your kids are thinking. Yeah, come on back. Come on, you're doing 75 miles an hour. Let's see what happens to the car. So I did what... I know some of you have done this. You ever grab the rearview mirror and change it to an aiming device? I'll come back there, so help me. Lean forward a half an inch and you'll meet Jesus today. But God loved children. He did. He gave them the innate knowledge of that one spot in the car your arm can never reach. 
So you're going like that, and they're going strike two. I told that story about swinging my arm at the kids. A little old man came all the way from the back of the auditorium. Took him about five minutes to get to the front. He could hardly walk, and his finger was out like this. Any preachers in here? Any pastors in here, including the pastors of this church? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Have you ever seen anybody come at you, George, with their finger out like this where it turned out to be a nice conversation? No. He came up to me and he said, I'm going to tell you something when you were talking about swinging your arm at the children. Oh, he said, God taught me about that a long time ago. I thought this boy's going to crawl up one side of me and down the other. I just braced myself. I said, what did God teach you? And that old man got a sparkle in his eye. He said, God showed me that a touch on the brakes brings them right into play. Uh, it's funny because it's true. So I heard somebody go, yeah, that ha that's true. That happened. Maybe that's been your experience. I know that was kind of my experience growing up because um, we've all experienced some sort of conflict and it may not look like that, but maybe it's our, uh, our immediate family, you know, the people that we sit around the dinner table with or, or the people we sit around the Thanksgiving table with, you know, kind of our extended family. Um, there might even be somebody now that kind of comes to mind that you're like, yeah, there's kind of friction going on right now. Maybe it's subtle, it's kind of snarky words or, or, you know, like little snubs, or maybe it's more overt, arguing and yelling and acting out. But what if there was a way to manage family conflict by dealing with it at its source? What if? See, the one thing that makes family conflict so different from any other kind of conflict is that when you win an argument in the family, you don't really win, do you? Right? Like, like the conflict's never fully resolved. I mean, if you win an argument at work or you win an argument at school, all right, great, high five, you move on, you know, the things are good. But if you win an argument in the living room or you win an argument in the bedroom, there's really no win there, is there? If you feel good because you out-argued the other person, but the conflict is never fully resolved. See, conflict in a family is like conflict nowhere else. It's just, it's so complicated and it's so emotional and it just seems to go on and on and on. And part of what makes it so complicated is that we don't even process conflict the same way as individuals within the family, as members of the family. We're all kind of wired up a little bit different. Uh, some of you guys are, are the peacemakers. Like you don't, you don't want uh, one, a couple more there, John. One more, sorry. Yeah, you're the peacemaker. Uh, you don't want any conflict, no matter what. You're like, peace at all costs. You know, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, are you fine? Are you okay? Okay, I'm okay, I'm fine. I, I don't want any any kind of pushback there at all. You know, and and you know they're not telling the truth, but they, they just don't want to engage. They're just like the peace at any cost. You're, you guys are the peacemakers, right? Some of you are the sulkers. It's like, ah, oh. you know, it's like you get down or you, and when you, you, you get down, you stay down and, and you kind of mope around even after the conflict is over. It's like, oh, are, are you okay? I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. You know, they're not, but you know, I'm fine, whatever. And you got the stuffer. You just kind of, oh, just don't ever let it out. Just kind of stuff it down. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. You know, you got the litigator. You guys are the arguers. You know, nobody likes to argue with you because they can never win and you're never wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so if somebody were to ask you, you know, are you ever wrong? You know, just as, as humbly as you could, you'd be like, no, it's true. You know, I'm never wrong. You know, I, you're always going to win. 
But afterwards you realize, I haven't really won anything. You got the screamer, you know, the people who just raise their voice because in families where you just raise your voice in an argument, you scream, you just get everything out on the table and then, whew, then you feel better and everyone around you feels crushed. You know, it's because we all approach conflict differently, which can lead to more conflict in a family. But the truth is, as long as there's families, there's going to be conflict. Even though there's many types of people and different approaches to conflict, really there's only one source of conflict in the family. Lots of approaches, lots of responses to it, but really only one source of conflict. And if everybody in the family can kind of wrap their brains and their hearts around this one single idea, wow, the tension and the tone and the conflict level in your family is just going to decrease almost instantaneously. That's how powerful this principle is. And it's Jesus' brother, James, that first introduces us uh, to this principle and explains it for us. And if you've got your Bibles with you, you want to turn to James chapter 4, you can follow along. But James introduces us to one of the most profound relational insights in all the world. And he introduces this powerful principle by beginning with this question. He asks, what is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? And what do we usually say? Well, it's their fault, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. We go into blame mode. It's because of her. It's because of him, you know? We start pointing fingers. Well, my husband, and he just doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And my wife, and she just spends money, and, and he doesn't work hard enough, and, and, and she's insensitive, and, and he just sulks around, and my kids don't behave, and my parents just don't understand, and my teenagers, you know, they just don't understand, and it goes on and on and on. And we could all point fingers, and they'd all be pointing the same way, right? Uh, oh, uh, away from us. Not a new problem. Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God says, hey, Adam, you know, have you, why have you eaten from the fruit of the tree? And he's, you know, Adam, he reflects on the importance of a personal responsibility for his actions and, and summons up the, all of the courage he can manage. He goes, it was the woman, <laughs> the woman, and not just the woman, but the woman that you gave me, God. It was, you know, we're always looking for somebody else to blame. And this kind of thing creeps into family life and it infects our relationships with each other. Because here's what we think. If everybody would just do what I tell them to do, everything would be good, right? There'd be peace in the family. There'd be peace in the world, right? If they just would do what I tell them to do. But no, they got to do it their way. It's their, you know, it's their fault when things go wrong. So we immediately go into blame mode. But let me tell you something about blame. And this is like something some of you guys have already stumbled across, but it's something you need to know as we move forward. And it's this, and as long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you're always going to be unhappy. Every single time you begin to blame, well, it's her, it's, it's him, it's them. It's, here's what you do. You take your happiness and you hand it to the person you're in conflict with and you go, here, you hold on to that until you want to give it back because I can't be happy until you change something. I, I, you, you hold my potential for happiness and uh, you know, it, it, unless you allow me to be happy, I can't be happy. And as long as you're caught in that death cycle of, well, if you would, you know, and if you would stop and if you would start and if she would quit and if you, if you, you're basically taking your happiness and you're handing it off to the person you're in conflict with. And you're going, I can't be happy unless you do something differently. And no one would do that on purpose. But really, you don't have um, an option until we understand what James is about to share with us. You hand off your happiness because if other people don't behave, you know, if other people won't do what you think they should do, well, then you can't be happy. That's true at work. It's true with your friends. It's especially true 
when it comes to your family. Every time I blame, I give away my happiness. And part of refusing to do that and learn, learning how not to do that is what James explains to us today. He, asks, he says, well, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, which seems like an impossibly big question. There's just tons of things that people fight about, right? If I were to ask you guys, you know, we come up with as many different reasons for fighting as there are people in the room. So, so James is like, no, there's not that many different reasons because you don't even understand the source. That's why you can't resolve your conflicts because you don't understand the source of it. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James says, ultimately, don't your, your quarrels and your fights come from something inside of you? And see, I want to go, no, no, no. It's something inside of them. If they would just change, you know, it's something they've done. And James is like, there's this common source. There's this common source to all your fights and your quarrels. And it's something inside of you. You have a desire in you that's spilling out to the people around you. There's conflict within you that's causing conflict with the people around you, but it always begins with something inside of you. Now, if we were to just stop right there and to think about our most recent conflict, you know, some of the recent conflicts we've had, if we had the courage to own that very simple idea, wow, it would immediately take the temperature level down in our conflicts with the people in our lives and in our families. And James goes on, he says, what it is is you desire, but you do not have. Every time there's a conflict, there's something you want. There's something you desire. Every time there's a conflict, there's something you want and you don't have it. Then he says this, so you kill. Now, James is writing to people in a church, not people in a prison. Okay, He's not writing to people on, on death row. This is hyperbole here. But this is extremely important as we think about what happens in families. Because every time there's a conflict, you want something. And sometimes there's something you want so badly. You're willing to hurt the people you care about the most in order to get what you want. You kill. We've all seen like parents who have, have killed their relationships with their kids because their kids won't do what the parents wanted them to do. Maybe it was around grades or friends or boyfriend or girlfriend or career choice or some sort of behavior. But the parents wanted the kids to do something or, or to stop doing something. Or, or there's something you wanted your parents to do or to stop doing, and, and it killed the relationship. And you see this things, kind of thing in all, all kinds of families, like family members who belittle or criticize others to the point where they have no confidence in themselves, parents who shame their children until they're almost afraid to be around them, women who have such high expectations of their daughter that their words just destroy what's going on in the heart of their daughter. When you want something from someone, whether it's your husband or wife or son or daughter, if you want it bad enough and you lose perspective and, and you don't understand the dynamic that we're talking about, and your desire to get from them or, or to get out of them uh, what you want, you have the potential to destroy that other person. And the whole time in the conflict, you're telling yourself, well, it's them, it's them, it's them. And James is like, no, it's you. It's you. You want. You want something and you're not getting it, so you're going to use your words or your actions to get it one way or another. I'll pause right there for just a moment. Can you imagine what would happen in a home if, if we just owned that one single, simple idea? What would, what would happen in a marriage? What would happen in a church? James goes on. He says, you, you covet 
but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, this is huge, because if in the middle of a conflict, or before the conflict even escalates, you can pause and you can take a deep breath and recognize, hey, part of what I'm feeling right now is I'm not getting what I want. Man, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. If in the middle of a conflict or an argument, you would look at that other person and you just go, you know what part of the problem is here? <laughs> I'm not getting what I want. Now, let's just practice that, right? You know, everybody, uh, Jonah, next slide, please. Yeah. All right, everybody, words are on the screen. Everybody, you got to practice with your finger, okay? I want to get the fingers out, and I want some attitude. Ready? Here we go. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Yeah, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not saying it's all the problem. And, and I'm not saying there aren't things that should be addressed. And I'm not saying avoid conflict. I'm just saying part of the problem is, the root of the problem is, I'm not getting what I want. Can you imagine what would happen in your home if that became a habit? If, what would happen in your relational world? See, as soon as you own even part of the problem, here's what happens. The temperature just goes down and the tension decreases. But I'll tell you why you won't do it, okay? Because as soon as you own even part of the problem, even a little tiny bit, you lose part of your argument. You know, and you lose part of your leverage and you lose part of your ability to convince the other person. But here's the thing. Remember, there's no win in an argument at home anyway. The, the best defense when it comes to family is no defense. And the reason we have a hard time stopping in the middle of an argument or even before we begin, the reason it's so hard for us to own our part is because we lose some of the leverage. You know, if we go, well, you know, part of it's my... And James is like, yes, yes, that's the thing. If everybody in the family would own their part and everybody in the family would lose a little leverage, guess what? You wouldn't fight and quarrel so much. But as soon as I own my part of the equation, well, then the focus is on me instead of on you. And I'd rather blame you. Because you never, and you always, and you know, you promised, and, and you should, and you, and you, and you. And I feel so empowered when it's you, but the minute it's me, even a little tiny itsy-bitsy bit, I'm not so empowered. And James is like, that's my point. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. To be able to own your part in a conflict, very difficult. But it's so powerful because, again, you're suddenly looking in the mirror instead of looking at the other person. But James doesn't end there. He says, you don't have because you do not ask God. Now, if you're not a Christian, like you can take everything up to this point and you can go home and apply it and it'll work. Okay, You don't have to be a Christian or believe in Jesus. But if you are a Jesus follower... From this point on, we're talking to Christ followers. And James says, the reason that you don't have is because you don't ask God. He says, before you go storming off down the hall or fire off that note or, or start that argument, you're so justified. You know, before you go raging in or sulking around, before you do any of that, he says, did it ever occur to you to get on your knees and go, God, I want, and then tell God what it is. See, there's always like this selfish component to all of our fighting and complaining. Maybe just a tiny percent, but it's there. 
And James is like, before you go raging in there, get on your knees and pour your heart out to God and just go, God, there's something I want from my husband. There's something I want from my wife or there's something I want from my, my kids. There's something I want from my, my parents and I'm not getting it. James says, has that occurred to you? No, no, I'm usually just so mad, you know. And when I pray, I kind of pray at them, like, God, change him or change her, or fix them, you know. And when I, when I pray for those people, it's kind of like, God, would you make them do what I think they should do? But when you, you begin to bring these things to God first, the conversation goes better because you go in knowing, hey, part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. He goes on, he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you, what you get on your pleasures. Because your motives, what's in it for you? Like, how can I get what I want from them? Instead of just praying, God, help this to go good, spend some time asking God to examine your heart. It may be that what you want, they're not even able to give. You know, there's a brokenness there. They don't have the capacity to give you what you want. Or maybe you want something from them that only God can provide. But you're basing your happiness on their behavior. And James is like, have you taken this to God? Can you take no for an answer? And can you own your part of it? And then perhaps the conversation begins at a different place and you refuse to hand them the responsibility and the pressure for your happiness. Let God help you own and deal with your part of the conflict and refuse to play the blame game. Here's the question. Here's what we're going to end with. Who in your family is suffering because you aren't getting your way? Who in your family feels the pressure to change? Who in your family feels the pressure to behave a certain way or the pressure to start or the pressure to stop something or the pressure to to work harder? Who's feeling that pressure because somehow you've communicated, well, then I'll be happy. Who's suffering because you aren't getting your way? And what could you do today to begin to take some of that unnecessary and inappropriate pressure off of them. Do you know why you quarrel and fight in your family? Because there's something you want and you're not getting it. Do you know why they quarrel and fight back with you? Because there's something they want and they're not getting it. And in an ideal world, and in an ideal family, in a family where men and women really are seeking to know God and to follow Christ, there's this pause before the storm. There's a pause before the conversation. There's this come to God moment. God, before I confront, and there are things that need to be confronted for sure, but before I address this issue, and there are issues that need to be addressed, but before I launch into that, God, I just want to recognize what is it that I want? And the what I want part needs to be dealt with between God and me before I take it to them. So just pray, do in me, God what you need to do in me before I take it and try to get out of the people I love, something that only you can give me to begin with. Do you know the source of fighting and quarrels in your family? You want something and you're not getting it. So why not take it to God? Why not own it? And maybe today, for some of us, today begins a brand new habit. Hey, you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is 
unavoidably, unmistakably true of all of us. God, we struggle with conflict in our relationships and especially painful when it comes to conflict in our families. So help us stop playing the blame game and open us up to the reality of the role of our own desires. God, give us wisdom now to know what to do as we move forward. That we might be that unique group of people who are willing to own our part in the equation. That we would allow you to do what you want to do in us and quit worrying about so much what we want everybody else to do. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. We'll see you downstairs.